Blog Talk Radio. edition of the Happy Recap Radio Show on this Tuesday, the 24th of October, 2017. I'm JB, along with EJ. Glad to have you along on this Tuesday, and uh, certainly as promised earlier in the month, a special edition of the Happy Recap Show to talk about our New York Mets and certainly the many developments, and most importantly, the new manager of the New York Mets. EJ, um, as I say this to you, we talked just before the show, uh, we're recording this at... uh, what is at least for me a semi ungodly hour of, <laughs> and uh, so I'll I'll, I'll let you um, uh, talk here briefly as of course uh, you know, recording this early morning for me so uh, we'll, we'll see how the voice holds out. How are you, my friend? Doing well, doing well. Uh, was excited to to get the news of the new manager. Of course, talking about Mickey Callaway, uh, former Indians pitching coach, has been named the uh, next manager of the New York Mets, and I'll tell you. It's been interesting. We'll talk about him in particular, but what's really interested me has been the the fan reaction to this. As since the the dawn of the Twitter era, I've never seen the Mets make a move. Maybe the acquisition of Cespedes might be the only one where I've seen uh, hashtag Mets Twitter unanimously approve of a move that the organization has made. But I'll tell you, this move uh, on social media, on mainstream media, and basically throughout the entire Major League Baseball seems to be unanimously approved that for all the times that they have gotten it wrong, the Mets really, really got one right here. Yeah, you know, certainly I think the uh, you you have to be among the more extreme of the extremists to have uh, spoke out against this, and I I think that uh, the few people I've seen are some of the people that have been uh, uh, of the belief that only, only, only a former Met should be a manager of the Mets, which, uh, you know, tell, tell that to former Met player Davey Johnson. I say that sarcastically, of course, because he was never a Met player. And uh, But, uh, yeah, I certainly think that it, the Mets made uh, what was uh, universally hailed as a good move uh, to a great move, and uh, I, as I told somebody um, on Twitter yesterday, I, I I really loved the hire when they made it on Sunday, uh, or essentially the story broke, if you will, the rumor, if uh, the the multi-source confirmed rumor, if you will, on Sunday. Uh, but uh, I really, really grew very quickly to love this guy yesterday during the press conference. And you know, you wonder how a guy goes blow, goes in and blows away his interview. Um, if you if you saw any clips of that press conference yesterday, EJ, as as a Met fan, uh, this was a guy you instantly fell in love with. Yeah, this is energy. This is the youth that we wanted. Um, I'll admit, when I first heard that he was basically had the job on Sunday, my initial reaction was slight disappointment. Because as we said on our previous podcast, I was like, yeah, I really kind of wanted Robin Ventura. But um, as I started investigating him a little bit more and started looking into uh, 
really what was was very interesting was the reaction of the Cleveland media as they were saying, "Oh man, the Mets basically stole a great one from us." Uh, that that was really encouraging. And then yeah, he gets up there in that press conference yesterday, and he delivers all the energy that you want out of a manager, a guy who definitely I think will be able to handle the New York media with no problem. In fact, not only do I think he'll excuse me, be great with the New York media, I think the media is going to love him because he's going to be he's going to be a, a sound clip, a day kind of guy, it seems like. He definitely doesn't seem like he'll have any problems speaking what's on his mind. And, uh, and he's sitting there saying he's going back and watching every single game of 2017 to get a feel for this team. And, and it's really hard not to be completely enveloped by his enthusiasm. Yeah, it was one of those things where I think uh, I mean, you know, you and I have talked about it many times over throughout the season. It even took uh, you know a month and a half off from doing the show just uh, out of sheer burnout, basically, because of how the season was going and uh, life getting in the way. But uh, it was for me, it was a uh, it was um, one of those things where I was really ready for the season to start about a half hour after that press conference. Uh, I was that juiced up. I was that energized. Now, obviously, we know this team has way more to do than just going out and hiring a manager. And I don't think anybody really ever thought that that was going to be the extent of what the Mets needed to do at any given juncture, uh, with, you know, as, as far as this uh, offseason retooling or whatever you'd like to call it is going to be. But uh, certainly the, the energy was there. The enthusiasm was there. This is a guy who genuinely wants to be here, genuinely wants to manage. And uh, it even hinted that uh, you know, someday when his managing days are uh, through, uh, he, he, would, uh, he wouldn't mind uh, ascending to the front office in, um, in an organization, uh, which, of course, he you know, very quickly said, not anytime soon, Sandy. <laughs> yeah, he's a, uh, he's a baseball lifer for sure. Um, you look at the staff that he's had in Cleveland over the past three years. They've led the, the American League in strikeouts. He definitely seems to have a great rapport with his pitchers. And I think what was most important was we had a, a staff of young, talented pitchers who were kind of bemoaning the fact that Dan Worthen was let go as pitching coach. And now you're bringing in a different guy who was a very, very successful pitching coach with a good young staff to be the manager. And I almost feel like not only were you able to make a great hire, you were also able to appease a lot of your superstars because, let's face it, that's what the starting rotation of the Mets is supposed to be. is supposed to be a bunch of superstars. So if you get these guys back healthy and you're giving them a great, a great pitching coach as their new skipper, I, it can only be a successful marriage in my opinion. Yeah, in fact, I mean, obviously one of the most outspoken about wanting to keep Dan Worth was Noah Syndergaard, who was very outspoken about wanting to keep the only major league pitching coach he's ever known. Um, and he tweeted out yesterday, have heard nothing but great things about Mickey, very excited to learn from him, impeccable beard game as well, which I got to admit, yeah, <laughs> he does have an impeccable beard game. <laughs> yeah, it was good to see Noah throw in uh, an initial uh, vote of confidence behind Mickey. And uh, I think it's, it can only be infectious. I mean, can you imagine, I was thinking about this a lot the past couple of days, if this guy comes in here and somehow gets the dark night to return and Matt Harvey becomes Matt Harvey again, this guy will basically <laughs> punch his own ticket 
to any place he wants in New York City if he can take on that reclamation project and be successful. I mean, I know it's a lot to ask for, but still, I, I would be lying if I said that the thought hasn't crossed my mind uh, multiple times the past few days. Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you look at uh, the statistics um, as far as what Callaway was able to uh, accomplish in just a couple of years in Cleveland, um, and I'll bring them up here in a moment, but uh, what he was able to accomplish as a pitching coach, and mind you, um, you know, we're, we're talking about a pitching coach that specializes in a curveball as opposed to a fastball. Um, I think that uh, you know, the, the, the fact is they're very different pitchers. This is a guy that he, he, dude tamed Trevor Bauer for the most part. I mean, that seems to be one of the, you know, un, unheralded miracles of, of uh, baseball the past couple of years. Yeah, and one of the other things that he had said, he had said it while he was still with Cleveland a while ago. I was going back and reading some of his uh, more favorable sound clips from, from his tenure with them, was at one point he said when it comes to starting pitching, velocity is overrated. And I read that and had to pump my fist because – while we all sat there the previous offseason and were dwelling on that one statistic that, oh, Noah Syndergaard threw the ball faster than anybody in baseball, and then Noah Syndergaard comes into camp 15 pounds heavier of muscle, and then Noah Syndergaard goes bye-bye for the majority of the season, it was nice to, to read that quote from him that, yeah, you know what? A guy could definitely, like Noah Syndergaard, there's no doubt he could definitely live in the neighborhood of 95, 96 miles per hour and healthy and still be a super success at the major league level as long as his breaking stuff is still filthy. So that was one of the quotes that I saw from him that I said, oh, that's very interesting. I like that approach, and uh, I'll be interested to see how he tries to implement that with some of the Mets starters. Yeah, especially somebody like Harvey who is having trouble regaining his velocity. I think that uh, you know potentially looking at a reinvention as a finesse-type pitcher who can occasionally get a good fastball by you uh, I think is, is something that I think you know those of us observationally watching uh, Harvey throughout this last year and the year before have wondered if that wasn't it, the case. Here, here are the statistics as, uh, brought to us by our friend Michael Mayer on Twitter. Um, the Indians pitching staff in 2012, mind you, this was the last season before Callaway uh, was hired as the pitching coach. The war for the pitching staff was 8.8, .8, good for 24th in baseball. Mind you, out of 30 teams, of course. ERA 479, 29th in MLB. K per nine innings, 6.78, 29th in Major League Baseball. And a whip of 1.42, good for 28th in Major League Baseball. Now, combine that with the um, overall rankings from 2013 through 2017 under Mickey Calloway, the war was a 108.4, good for first in Major League Baseball, an ERA of 3.65, good for fourth in Major League Baseball and first in the AL, a K, uh, K9 uh, ratio of 9.02, good for first in Major League Baseball, and a whip of 1.24, good for fourth in Major League Baseball. That is is what I call instant results. Yeah, those are staggering numbers. And the one that we as Mets fans, I think I really stands out to me, is the K per nine innings. Because we have a staff yeah. that is designed to strike batters out, and we have to get back to that approach, I feel, to be successful. And that is certainly something that he had incredible success with in Cleveland, like you said, almost instantly.
And I mean, that's the thing too. I mean, you, you look at this and there were not any massive, uh, I mean, obviously you had some young pitchers coming to their own, you know, something, you know, obviously, you know, Corey Kluber coming, uh, coming into his own in that, uh, in that time period, winning the Cy Young in 2014. But the, uh, you know the reality of it when you when you look at this team, this is not a team that really had a, you know, had uh, you know the the Mets 2012 starting rotation out there, and then you know had all their you know kids come up. This is a team that he basically took what they had and made them win. It wasn't necessarily that these were new guys coming in, and that's important. Yeah, that's that is important. That these were. There was definitely some type of mechanics that he had to adjust on guys who were existing in that rotation already. Uh, maybe it's a different philosophy on their approach to the game. Um, while also, like you said, managing kids coming up. And that's something that, the, the, let's face it, the Mets took a, a bit of a, a, a knock on the nose this season regarding uh, the readiness and preparedness to perform at the major league level of uh, two of our super prospects. So that's something that he clearly has already succeeded in in handling with his, uh, with pitchers. So now we just have to see, can he make the same adjustment with position players? And by all indications, I have no fear there. I feel like he will be successful in that regard. Yeah, and I do think, I mean, we'll see how things play out. I mean, you know, we'll talk a few moments here about the coaching staff and what we we expect to see there and, and how we expect that to pan out. But um the um, yeah, you know, I would think that that both Mickey and the Mets are, you know, uh, would be strongly considering the concept of a bench coach that has a, uh, you know, might have some background as a former major league manager to kind of have that uh, extra wisdom to be able to help him with that stuff. But this is a guy. I mean, by all means, everybody that he has worked with um, talks about his acumen, and uh, this this guy seems like he's basically been a sponge sitting with. Terry Francona these past uh, four or five seasons. I agree. I don't worry. Yeah, yeah I mean, as inevitable as it, it's felt, and we got to watch their careers a little more closely because they were with the Mets, guys like Alex Cora and guys like Joe McEwing were always kind of destined to be major league managers because they were that kind of uh, protege to their existing manager when they were players. It feels like uh, Mickey was the, the exact same way during his playing days and has been the exact same way during his tenure as a pitching coach, that this guy has just kind of been a, a protege who, who's being bright to be a major league manager. And uh, I'm just super excited that the, the opportunity comes with the Mets. I mean, when you think about it, the, the chance to see, for Mets fans, to see a first-time manager is almost uh, unheard of. And as we sat there and saying, oh, we just don't want another 30-year retread we, we've had that. We've seen it. We've been there. Um, the, the fact that infused some some new blood into management of, of the team is just incredibly exciting. And uh, I, I, I can't, like you, you said uh, right after that press conference, you were ready for it to start. Like, I, I just want to skip the general manager's meetings. I just want to get to February at this point because I'm really excited to see the type of training camp that Mickey's going to run and, uh, and how the players respond to him because I feel it's going to be overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, I mean, I think that, and, and I think also you're right. I mean, the the uh, sound bites every day coming out of Port St. Lucie are going to be fascinating, um, and high energy, and uh, you know, I 
the one thing I'm looking forward to also is hearing more from our players as time goes on, um, as he has the opportunity to speak to them and work with them that, uh, um, you know, I think that, uh, I, I think you're also going to hear stories in spring training of, uh, yeah, he, he flew down and, uh, spent a couple of days with me and I mean, that, that's the kind of stories I expect to hear. Now I'm not saying that that's, you know, something I'm going to judge him on if he doesn't do it for some reason, but, uh, it just seems like he's the kind of guy that's like, you know, what, let's let's get started now. Let's 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 start working on your curveball, Matt, or or let's uh, you know let's start working on developing a you know a, a couple pitches that aren't going to hurt your uh, your elbow, Stephen. I mean, let's 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 do some stuff here. Let's you know we got plenty of time before spring training. Let's see what we can work on. Um, that seems to be to me. I don't know. I maybe I'm reading more into it. That seems to be the kind of guy this guy is. High energy. Let's get it done. Uh, absolutely. As enthusiastic as you, as you and I are to start the season, I feel like no one's more enthusiastic than him. So I could definitely see that playing out during the postseason or during the offseason. And something I've noticed the last couple of years that has already started happening is the Mets as a team seem to have been reporting earlier and earlier every year. And it's not like one or two guys is reporting early. It seems like almost to a man, every single guy was reporting early. And I definitely foresee that happening this year, including the manager. And uh, and really, I, I hope the enthusiasm that we saw in that press conference yesterday is as infectious on the players as it definitely has been on the fans. Because like I said, you, if you were watching social media yesterday during and immediately after that press conference. You, it seems like th- this one hire has taken the entire fan base from, let's face it, we were at a point of, anywhere from frustrated to completely disinterested in the team coming off this 2017 campaign to the fire has been relit. And now we start thinking about the what ifs and what if everybody is healthy under this management, what is the possibility for the 2018 New York Mets? Well, and certainly too. I mean, you look at it and uh, you know, I think the, uh, the biggest naysayers around are like, how did the Mets stumble onto such a good decision? This seems completely well, unlike them. And, and you know the 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 backhanded compliment notwithstanding, there I think that uh, you know the, the the fact of the matter is, is you, know, you have a guy that uh, I, I think any number of jobs he, he could have had. Certainly, this is a guy I think if there's no Alex Cora in the mix, is certainly in the mix in Boston. And uh, you know the the Mets uh, pounced on him at a point where uh, you know the the Nationals suddenly have an opening in what uh, you know. Just to, to sidestep for a moment, holy crap, the Nationals have an opening. <laughs> oh, my God. They are a disaster. As an Every time that I criticize the Mets and their front office and their ownership, I just look down to Washington and I say, well, at least we're not them. Because how you can be a team that constantly wins division titles, constantly makes the postseason, and constantly gets bounced in the first round, but you figure a team that is winning division titles frequently should be considered a well-run organization. And instead, yeah, they just fired Dusty, and it makes absolutely no sense to me. No, I mean, the thing about it is, the one thing in watching them, and, uh, you know, as far as the Nationals, obviously, we all celebrate, as as, uh, Met fans would, that they're they're quick and obvious exit from the the playoffs. Uh, But you know, the reality, I think I've been pretty open and clear over the years that I kind of feel like uh, uh, Dusty's a bit overrated as far as management goes. 
but um, I certainly don't think he is as good as how he is billed. Um, the the reality though is he was a massive upgrade for a team that had been managed very poorly by Matt Williams for several years. Despite the, I mean, he literally cost that team a World Series. Uh, but the the reality of it is is I, I think in watching it, whatever ills the Nationals, and I still haven't quite put my finger on it. Dusty Baker proved to me in this in this postseason he wasn't the answer. And while I totally think you know, he deserved another chance to go out there, I mean, you don't take a guy, you know, you don't take a team within a couple outs of uh, advancing into the next round and, uh, you know, go ahead and, and dump your manager, especially one as well-respected as Dusty Baker. Um, you know, it, the average lifespan of a Washington Nationals manager is two and a half years. And admittedly, they haven't been around forever, but still, two and a half years. Come on. This is ridiculous. And you look at the names they've had down there, apart from, you know, Matt Williams, these have not been slouches managing that team. No, definitely not. And I wouldn't be surprised if one of those non-slouches is the Mets bench coach, as you uh, had kind of referenced a little earlier. But you're right. I, I agree with you. I have never been the biggest Dusty fan in the world. Um I have I have definitely taken some lumps when he's had successes, but uh, that said, who are you going to hire that's going to be better? That's always my question. Whenever a team lets go of a manager, I say, is the replacement going to be better? Is there is there a management warp <laughs> value of yeah. a replacement manager? Is there such thing? Because I look at right now what the Mets have just done is. Is Mickey going to be better than Terry? I don't know, but I'm definitely confident that he has every possibility to be. Who are the Nats going to bring in that's going to be better than Dusty? That remains to be seen, but you already have seen a couple big names get hired between Boston and New York. So who are you, who's still out there in the managerial pool that is available that they're going to get that's going to be better than Dusty? And I would argue it's probably not going to, to be better. So that's where I feel like if you're firing just for the sake of firing, it's just because that stigma of never being able to win a playoff series is driving you so nuts that you just made a very reactionary move for the sake of making a very reactionary move, something we have cautioned the Mets against doing many times in the past. I think in the, in the long run it's going to come out to be a, a pretty very negative move for the Nationals. Yeah, and I mean the thing about it too is, I mean, you look at it um... – the um, what's available out there. It's exactly the point. Now, when you look at the Mets job, you know, especially with the, you know, the feelings that have run amok as far as uh, Terry Collins was concerned, there are definitely upgrades available. You look in Philadelphia, Pete McCannon, there are definitely upgrades available. Yep. Brad Osmus, you know, I, I think he was a bad, he was a decent guy in a bad situation, uh, but there were definitely upgrades available from Brad Osmus. I think he's, Long term, I think he's a good manager. Um, it was not a good first run for him, uh, but um, the the uh, the reality of it is is I don't know. I mean, to me, the the best guy potentially out there that the Nationals could get, at the very best, is a parallel move across, and that would be John Farrell. Oddly enough, 
the other guy who I'm still somewhat amazed got canned. Um, you know, that, that to me that, I mean, that seems to be the only guy out there that has the, you know, the championship experience they seem to be looking for in, in, in DC. I mean, you can go out and go, go ahead and hire Kevin Long. If you really want to hire Kevin Long, if he thinks he, if you think he is the, the fit for you, you go ahead and hire him and we wish him the best and we will miss him because I think he is a good hitting coach, uh, a very good hitting coach. Uh, but the the reality of it is there there is no way you can tell me on on anything but paper that he has the potential to be better than Dusty Baker. And to me, then, that comes out to a large, I would even say uncalculated, not calculated, large uncalculated risk that you are taking in what is, let's be honest, the last year of their window. Bryce Harper, free agent. Bryce Harper, not coming back. Yeah, that is the the main point there, that this is their last really hoorah to, to try to make something happen with this team as it's currently assembled. And, and you're right. I mean, who if they want to make a philosophical change and basically do what every Mets fan was hoping the Mets would do, and that was we don't want an institutional 30-plus-year guy, okay, I get going to be their move, and they are going to hire a first-time guy or a guy who just had one bad run. I'll get it. It's... It, I'll buy what they're selling if they say it's a philosophical change. But if they go out and hire a retread kind of guy who's been around, then it makes absolutely no sense why the heck would you get rid of Dusty Baker to basically hire one of his contemporaries when you have a guy who's had a two-year rapport with this team. Uh, the players seem to all genuinely enjoy playing for him. Uh, to, to fire him as you're going into what's going to be Arguably the most critical year of your franchise's brief history, really, it's just baffling to me. I can't, until I see who they hire, I can't get my head around the fact that they they made this move. No, I I can't either. And I mean, certainly as an observer of baseball, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to even if you're going to make the move to have waited so long uh, into the into the period where you know other managers are already landing. I mean, you lost your shot at Alex Cora. Um, you lost your shot at Mickey Calloway. Uh, you know, it, you lost your shot at somebody experienced like a Ron Gardenhire, um, you know, who, again, probably, mm, maybe that's a parallel with Dusty and him, maybe. Could be, uh, could be. I, I mean, that would be maybe a flush move across. Otherwise, it, to me, it may be a slight downgrade. And that's no that's no diss on Ron Gardenhire. That's, that's a compliment on Dusty Baker, who, again, while I think he's overrated, I am not saying he's a crap manager. Um, but um, I think that um, you look at that, and, and what's really weird to me, EJ, is you look at this division. We look at uh, the NL East for 2018. Uh, we talk about the New York Mets and their ability to be competitive in this division, and you're looking at a very strong possibility that starting opening, coming opening day, that Don Mattingly is the only manager who survives the 2017 season and even he could be on a short li- li- uh, leash because you figure there's probably change coming in Atlanta. Once they sort out what's going on with that whole GM thing and that scandal and all of those weird things, you know, they already were assuming that uh, Snitker was going to be out down there and they'd bring somebody else in. Well, a new GM is, I, I got a figure is going to bring in their own guy, especially in this situation. 
but uh, even if they don't, you'll probably Snitger and Mattingly, who probably will be among the first two managers to go should anything go wrong with their respective teams, because uh, eventually Jeter's going to want to bring in his own guy, even though he's got a Yankee legend with him. Uh, you know, he's going to eventually want to bring in his own guy down in, in Miami. And, uh, you know, Snitker is not the answer for the Braves. No, definitely not. And like you said, once the GM so, uh, situation gets resolved in Atlanta, you're right, the GM's going to want to bring in his own guy. And quite frankly, I think it's the, it would be the right move for that team, given the youth infusion that they've had. And they they should, by all accounts, be a better team this year. So you might want to uh, put a new guy in there to kind of just be a new voice, almost like a uh, a rebirth of a franchise, if you will and definitely kind of wash away the old in with the new. So I agree, yeah, it could be down to Jess Mattingly, who I think probably does survive 2018 unless the Marlins are just absolutely, completely pathetic, which I don't foresee happening. Uh, they've got some talent there. They're obviously not not going to be uh, favored to win the division by any capacity, but I, I foresee they could definitely be uh, uh, hovering around 500 kind of team which I think will probably be good enough to keep Mattingly around at least for 2018. I'm not sure about beyond, but yeah, this is not a, this is not our, our early 2000s NL East anymore. This is definitely a very, very changed looking division given that it's uh, a lot of youth within the division. A lot of new managers is in the division. Uh, we'll, we'll try have some new GMs within the division. So it's, uh, it's definitely a new look, but, at the end of the day, for me, it all comes down to the, the number one factor of the entire division comes back to the health of our very own Mets. If the Mets are healthy, I don't see how they could not win this division. And maybe that's me drinking the Kool-Aid, but I just look around the division. I look at every other rotation in the division. I look at every other starting lineup in the division. Now, granted, we don't know who's going to be filling what roles as far as the position players go. But if this team is completely healthy and remains unchanged as of today, I still foresee them being the favorites in the division. And that's how they are constituted today. That's not including any moves that Sandy might make to shore up the offense even further. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's kind of the key. I think the the, the thing that we're seeing is this is a very wide open division and the Mets will, you know, to, to a good extent control their own destiny come opening day. Uh, obviously this is a very important off season for Sandy. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I think that you look at this and, uh, you know, to me, there has been tremendous votes of non-confidence around the entire NL East about their 2018 campaigns. I mean, you look at it right now, you can already say Philadelphia Phillies not going to contend. Uh, nope. Florida Marlins not going to con- or Miami Marlins sorry not going to contend Atlanta Braves nope. not going to contend it's a two man race again if the Mets can get back into contention it's them and the and the Nationals again and let's be honest as of now th- that is a team in disarray uh, one thing though you know worth bringing up uh, the uh, a- as we look at uh, you know the the moves the Mets have to make yet this off season uh, what where is I, you know, let's be honest. There weren't a whole lot of choices for pitching uh, for manager here, and a lot of people like to use the narrative that nobody wanted the Mets job. Well, nobody wanted any job. 
first of all. <laughs> I, I have never seen such a scant list of candidates that were applying around baseball. Because honestly, there, you had a couple of different names from team to team based on you know who was internal in that, those organizations. But EJ, correct me if I'm wrong, there were no, apart from you know Brad Osmus who declined to interview, that you know, with anybody but the Red Sox, um, there there was nobody out there that was just randomly applying. Everybody was pretty much a candidate everywhere, and there there just wasn't a large pool to choose from. Yeah, it didn't seem like there was a large pool to choose from. And once again, when it comes to the New York media and what's coming out of the Mets front office basically believe nothing of what you hear and only half of what you see. Because prior to Sunday, the name Mickey Calloway had not been floated anywhere that I had seen on social media from any of the beat guys. At that point, I, I came into Sunday feeling dejected because by all accounts, it sounded like Manny Acta had blown away his interview with the Mets, and it sounded like he was the, was the forefront uh, leader in the clubhouse to – to become the next Mets manager, and I didn't want Manny Acta. So when the news yeah, about I, Callaway was, was breaking, I was like, first I was like, wait, who? And then I was like, oh, wait, that's the that's Indians guy. Oh, wait, this could be a good move. And I, I didn't even know he had interviewed for the job. Yeah, I had known he would interviewed, and that was pretty much the only thing, was that you know the Mets' first round of interviews will include Alex Corum, Mickey Callaway, uh, Long, McEwing, and then it turned out, rather surprisingly, we found out yesterday, Mark DeRosa was one of those six yeah. interviews. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, that will, obviously, that will obviously be a name I think we hear in the future as well. But to me, it just feels like in the general thing, you know, in, in the grand general scheme of things, you're right. I, you know, started hearing names being peeled away Sunday morning. And, you know, I went into it going, it's going to be Long or Acta. It's going to be Long or Acta. And I'm, I'm okay with Long. Acta, I'm very nervous about. Uh, I think he's done some really good things as a coach in Seattle, and he seems to have really kind of reclaimed um, some of the momentum he had 10 years ago when he was the Alex Cora, um, yep. as far as the, you know, the, the hot manager everybody wanted. Uh, you know, and that's the one thing for everybody that's disappointed we didn't get Alex Cora. Remember, at one point, Manny Acta was Alex Cora. Um, and that's not to say that that's not to say that uh, Alex Cora will be Manny Acta, but you know it, it's at the same time it's definitely a uh, you, you can't look at it and go he's definitely the manager of the century coming out of uh, coming out of the bench coach job at Houston, but um, it just feels like there are so few players coming out of baseball now. Maybe it's the maybe it's the salaries, maybe it's what management has become, um, you know, a ton of different things, but. Uh, I just don't get the sense that people want to manage as much anymore. I mean, you heard it from David Wright earlier in the season. This is a guy who loves baseball with all his heart and soul. And, you know, and part of it, obviously, is he's holding on to his playing career with every grasp he can. But uh, you get the impression this is a guy who really legitimately, honestly, has no interest in going into managing. And you know, 10 years ago, if you'd asked me, I would have said he's prime candidate for management. Uh, these guys don't want to do it anymore. No, I mean, you look at look at the Jeter model. I mean, Jeter started saying it when he was five years into his career that, uh, yeah, I'd like to own a team someday, but I'd never want to manage one. 
and he was still a pretty youthful guy at that point when he started talking about it. And you're right. It's, it's once your playing days are over, that 162 games grind is, is just that. It is a grind on you. And as manager, you're the guy who's basically, you're going to be taking the blame or, or taking the successes, but most often the blame for the failures of your team. You're going to make moves that are not popular. Um, let's face it, on a losing team, there are no popular managers. Uh, we saw it this, this past year. I mean, Terry Collins, throughout his tenure with the Mets, he had his highs, he had his lows, he had times where the, it seemed like the entire fan base loved him in 2015, but there were definitely times in 2017 where the entire fan base was kind of like, yeah, Terry's time is coming down. He better not get another year. And that's the life of a manager. So I understand the hesitation to jump into such a role. I, I understand the the appeal of a front office job, the appeal of a scouting job, where you still get to remain among the game, but you don't have to take the daily criticism. You don't have to be the manager of 25 different personalities every single day. I definitely get the appeal of uh, of veering to a more not-so-in-the-limelight position, but staying within the game. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, that, that it's interesting, too. I mean, you know, we talk about every year, you know, the, the minority hiring and whatnot, and uh, specifically, I mean, obviously the, the Mets, um, you know, interviewed several uh, Latino candidates, but, um, you know, no, no African-Americans, but there were none out there. And that's another thing that's just, you know, again, continues to sadden me about the state of uh, African-Americans in, in Major League Baseball. There's definitely, I mean, no African-American players coming out saying, I'm not getting interviewed. Ten years ago, 15 years ago, there were potential managers of African-American descent saying, hey, give me a shot. I mean, you know, look at, I mean, even somebody like Willie Randolph. I mean, come on. You know, at the same time, I don't see that anymore, man. What is going on? You're absolutely right. You don't see, where is Willie Randolph? Where is Jerry Manuel? Where is Don Baylor? These guys who are definitely not too old to do the job. I mean, Willie in particular is still he's, he's still a young young guy comparatively to some of the, those thirty plus year vets that I've spoken about often. Um, where are those guys asking for the interview? And I guess whatever they're up to now, they have found life is far more pleasant doing that than the the daily grind, the daily criticism of being a major league manager. I think I'd rather Jerry Manuel was very active with a, I forget what university it was, with their program, and he was rebuilding a program. And it just seems like he, him and I'm not sure what Willie's up to, but at least in Jerry's case, he kind of found a passion project that appeals far more and probably nowhere near as lucrative as being a major league manager. But it, it, it's almost as if they found, uh, found happiness away from, uh, from being a skipper. Absolutely. William Jessup University is the, is the college you're thinking of with Jerry Manuel. That was it. Um, yep. And, you know, even, even Willie Randolph hasn't been involved in Major League Baseball other than Team USA in 2012 since 2011 when he was let go from the Baltimore Orioles as a coach. I mean, but again, these are not guys that are saying, hey, I can't get an interview anymore. There, there, there's, there's no outcry and there's no, I mean – you know, for for all the amazing things he's done on the field, do you do you think for a second that Curtis Granderson's interested in a managing career that he's done? No, I mean, to I me, think it sounds like you broadcasting before he does managing. 
either broadcasting or you know that his biggest passion is exactly what you're talking about right now, and that's trying to get African-American kids to, to find interest in the sport of baseball. So I could definitely see Curtis post-playing days being a amazing ambassador for the game, but I don't think I could see him wanting to to take the 162-game path of managing a team. I, I think he'll be a great ambassador. I think he'll definitely invest a lot of time into trying to get some of the urban communities more interested in the game, but managing, no. Broadcasting, definitely can see it. Going, uh, Pursuing his passion, definitely can see it. Managing, definitely can't see it. And, I mean, you'd look at it, too. You, know, you talk about the, the what I consider the dwindling base of potential managers, and that's certainly not to slight Mickey Callaway because I think, I think the Mets have a good one. I'm really confident. I feel good about the hire. I feel good about Mickey Callaway. So I'm certainly not uh, by saying, hey, there weren't a whole lot of choices. Say, you know, it, it was more, it's more just a commentary on baseball that I'm saying there. But uh, when, when you look towards the coaching staff and abundance of riches, can you think of a season – where there have been this many quality pitching coaches available? Yeah. Yeah, there is an abundance throughout baseball right now. And and obviously having one as qualified as Mickey, uh, being one of those main voices in the decision as to which one to tag as the Mets' new pitching coach gives me a lot of confidence that whoever the Mets decide to go with, it's going to be a very good choice. Yeah, and I mean, it very well may be that um... – that he brings in somebody he you know, he's worked with that hasn't had the major league pitching coach job before. Uh, I, I think for some, it might be intimidating to work for a manager who is a successful pitching coach. I mean, that there are some pitching coaches I could think of that wouldn't want to do that. Uh, but I mean, you look at the people who have been dismissed just in the past couple of weeks, um, you know, from, from their pitching coaches jobs. And, you know, even over the weekend, uh, the Cubs let go Chris Basio. Uh, the Giants have let go Dave Rigetti. I mean, you know, Derek Lilliquist fired in St. Louis. Uh, and these are all guys with successful track records as major league pitching coaches. Uh, and, you know, even, heck, the Mets let go Dan Worthen, obviously. Uh, you know, but you, you have the, you know, this rotating door, Jim Hickey in Tampa Bay, uh, who I think, you know, quite honestly, I'd be immensely surprised if he doesn't wind up in Chicago with his you know, former manager, Joe Madden. But um, the the amount of available talent in the pitching coach realm is kind of awe-inspiring in a way. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, the Mets being in a position of, uh, you know, power here, you know, can kind of look for their guy and know that there's going to be quality. And I also trust, um, I, I very much trust uh, Mickey Calloway to be part of that process. Yeah, I feel like Callaway will definitely be part of that process. I feel like he will be a very, very loud voice in those meetings, fortunately, which I think is only a good thing. I mean, whether it's true or not, I don't think we'll ever know. Uh, one of the criticisms of Terry Collins was that he was simply uh, Sandy Alderson's puppet, that Sandy basically dictated who played and where they played, and Terry just kind of went along with it. I don't know if that's true. I don't think we'll ever know. There were times where I suspected that it was true. There were times where I suspected that Perry was completely going off the rails on his own and doing his own thing. So unless there's a tell-all book somewhere in Terry Collins, which I personally don't foresee, uh, I don't think we'll ever really know. But I feel like with Mickey, I definitely think he did not get hired to be anybody's puppet. 
I feel like he's going to be a voice. I think he's going to be a voice of this newer generation, which I like. He is he's part of a generation that is well before uh, or well after Sandy Alderson's generation. And I'm not saying by any stretch that Sandy Alderson's generation is, is done or antiquated. It's just different. It's just a different method, and he's always been very progressive. So I, I just think this is a newer generation coming up right now of managers, uh, uh, pitching coaches, you'll see, because I do agree. I don't think, even with all the pitching coaches released, I don't think that we're going to get one of the prominent names of the Mets pitching coach. I think it is going to be someone that Mickey's worked with in the past that probably hasn't gotten that shot like you mentioned, and I'm fine with that. Give a guy a new shot. Give a new guy a shot. By all means, let's let's get this kind of youth infusion keep going. But uh, I definitely don't think that Mickey is, is accepting a job where in the interview process it's made to, to seem like you're kind of going to be doing what your general manager wants you to do. So I'm, I'm confident that his voice will be heard, uh, his advice will be heeded, and uh, and whoever he determines that he wants as his pitching coach. I feel that barring it being uh, some type of financial situation where the guy's asking for the moon, I feel like whoever he really wants as his pitching coach, I feel like based on Sandy, well, let's, by the way, can we talk about Sandy's reaction to Mickey's press conference yesterday? Because Sandy was a kid in the candy store himself. He was downright giddy, which I've never seen out of Sandy Alderson before. So uh, I think Sandy would definitely heed Mickey's advice and, and let the manager have the guy who he tags. Yeah, I, and I, I concur with you on Sandy. I'll come back to it in a second. I think, I mean, I, I agree with you 99% of that. I think the, I do think that there's certain elements, obviously, of the managing position that continue to to evolve and that, uh, you know, general manager, you know, is, you know, you're certainly not a puppet, but you're not the, you don't have, you will never have the autonomy that, uh, you know, that Billy Martin had in the 70s. You'll never have the autonomy that Gil Hodges had in the 60s. You'll never have the autonomy that uh, Whitey Herzog had in the 80s. I mean, you know, the, the, the job has changed somewhat. Uh, but I do agree. I don't think you're walking into a situation. So what we'll do is we'll tell you to do this, 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 and this. And uh, I'll have you make a lineup every day. I'll take a look at it, see what I think. Uh, and I'll let you know some feedback. It, I, no, it's, I don't think that's the – I, I agree. I, I think that there is a certain amount of autonomy. One, you're getting the hot one of the hot candidates and, and basically, you know, Arguably the best of what was left once our Alex Cora left the field, and I, I think there's certainly a possibility that, you know, very good possibility, Mickey Callaway is every bit as good as Alex Cora. But um, the um, the uh, the thing for me is that I, I you know I look at that I, I agree I think it's possible you get a, a no name uh, quote unquote um, I mean you have essentially a no name manager um, that we're all very excited about now that we understand it. Um, so I have no problem with somebody who's previously collaborated with Mickey Calloway getting that job. Uh, it's going to be very interesting because I think, uh, I think it's safe to say at this point, it's very possible. The only holdover from this year's coaching staff is Glenn Sherlock, the newest guy. Yeah, I think that's a safe call. I, I, I definitely think, and I like that because whenever you're bringing in a new manager, you want him to put his team in place. I never liked it when, a uh, new manager would come in, but they would leave the majority of the old regime behind. And even if the old regime is okay with the new manager, you just never feel like you're going to ever command 100% of the, 
of the loyalty that they might have felt for the last guy, unless they genuinely despise the last guy, which is a rarity. Because usually the, the manager writes to surround themselves with, with like-minded, let's face it, in many cases, friends from their playing days. So, yeah, I, I totally am good with a complete cleansing of the staff and, uh, and letting Nikki and Sandy come up with a, with a complete coaching staff that they're comfortable with, that they think will thrive with uh, the players that they have, and uh, will gel with the, the clubhouse chemistry, which is a very important factor, too. Because, as you know, no manager is going to be universally loved by all 25 guys. So it's a matter of finding uh, guys, whether it's a bench coach, whether it's a hitting coach, whether it's the pitching coach, guys who, who may not be gelling with the manager, having uh, a, a venting post for them to have someone to go to and kind of unleash any steam that they have. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know, I think that it's. I'm looking forward to seeing who they pick and for these various coaching positions, and I think at least one or two of these. Oh, okay, uh, type people. I'm totally okay with that. Um, before we wrap up on the Mets portion of things and uh, head uh, wrap wrap up the show with our obligatory uh, World Series predictions, I just wanted to get your take on the other piece of Mets news that's developed. Uh, of significance in the time uh, since uh, we last did a show with uh, the Mets and their minor league system. And of course, a uh, bit of upheaval that we've had going on there, and, uh, a lot of coaches being reassigned and moved about, several out of the organization, et cetera. But uh, the biggest move, of course, was the Mets and their AAA ballpark, uh, AAA uh, situation, finally uh, resolving itself when the uh, Mets rather surprisingly purchased the Syracuse Chiefs about three weeks ago. And uh, with the intent of moving their AAA operations to there after the uh, after the 2018 season, um, this can only help the New York Mets. I see, and it seems like you oh. know, at a point where you can only do little things, the the Mets get an A so far in this off season. With don't get me wrong, a lot to go. Oh, this is a this is a hallelujah by all accounts. It was absolutely ridiculous that they basically couldn't really have a taxi team the past couple of seasons because the taxi was 2,500 miles away. So thank God they are finally getting out of Vegas. Also, it'll be nice to not have to talk about the Vegas air and, oh, well, this guy's stats are inflated because he's in Vegas or this pitcher's ERA is increased because he's in Vegas. We won't have to talk about any of that anymore. Uh, the air in Syracuse apparently is very similar to the air in Queens, so we're, we're good in that regards. And uh, it's it just, I, I hate to say anything's a no-brainer, but if you can suddenly take your franchise's AAA affiliate and move it from 2,500 miles away to upstate, yeah, you kind of got to do it every single time. So, yeah, that's a bravo move by the Mets. And uh, I think it's good for a lot of Mets fans because I know I sure as heck wasn't going to take a weekend trip to Vegas to go see the AAA affiliate, but going to see the Muppet Syracuse, definitely within the realm of possibility for, for me and I think a lot of other tri-state area Mets fans. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where geographically it's never been a great thing, but I've always wanted to spend a you know a week or two on the road in the summer and go to all the, the minor league affiliates. Uh, and uh, by golly, geographically, it just got a lot easier to do that. Yeah. You know, and I, I think yeah. that, uh, now mind you, being out on the West Coast, having gotten to see Vegas play a couple times, and I'll get to see them again this year, but that'll be a uh, uh, you know, it'd be a bit of a bummer to see them leave the coast, but I'm also about what's best for the team and what's best for, you know, 
this team going forward. And and you 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 talk about it. I mean, even the fact that you know we we had to throw several of our pitchers through there. Uh, you know, thankfully no harm, no foul in the long run. But uh, I still look at that first year of um, when Noah Syndergaard was there, and uh, you know nine and seven with a four point six two ERA. And, uh, you know, people are writing him off at the major league level and I'm screaming, it's Vegas, it's Vegas. And, uh, thankfully I was right. It was Vegas. Yeah. Thank God we could finally stop with that narrative. Uh, oh, is it Vegas? Is it this guy? I will have a much more clearer idea of who, uh, uh of what do you mean we're calling up a guy with a five ERA? I mean, you know, and you just don't yeah, know, is that exactly. five ERA? You know, is that five ERA yeah. inflated because of Vegas, or is it that this is get just a craptastic pitcher we're bringing up? Um, now you'll be able to tell ahead of time. So, but yeah, I mean, it's this has been a good month so far, EJ. I, I mean, I, I again, the Mets have made what I consider solid moves, both on you know, on paper and in the business realm, uh, between you know purchasing the Syracuse Chiefs, which you know, yeah, it's a Triple A team, but those still aren't cheap. Let's be honest. Um, you know, it's a significant investment long-term in this team, uh, by, you know, the, uh, the, the, the narrative still being, you know, the, the quote unquote coupons now that they're, you know, not spending still as much as we all like them to, but I, I, you know, I still think the nickname has, has been, um, outdated for a while now, but, um, the, the, the reality of it is the Mets have made some solid moves at a point where you can't obviously deal with player personnel and, and much else. Um, you know, we've got a good manager. I, I've, I'm confident in uh, Mickey Calloway. I really like the guy. It's one of the first times, EJ, I got to say, I, I wish you'd go to MLB and buy, buy a jersey for a manager. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, like, that's the type I, of enthusiasm he was. Sign, sign me up for that. I would buy it. Um, Absolutely. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of enthusiasm. Just like, okay, I like this guy. I, I, I'd wear his jersey, but, uh, you know, the, the, yeah, they, they don't really market those for managers so much. So, you know, as big of a Terry Collins fan as anyone may be, odds are you're not rocking a Collins jersey in your closet. So, um, the, um, you know, I, I feel really good right now. Now, let's see how I feel after the winter meetings, but uh, I feel pretty good about uh, what the Mets have been able to accomplish in a small period of time. Um, and uh, managing to, you know, before the World Series, get a new manager in place. Speaking of said World Series, um, you know, and speaking of the Indians and Mickey Calloway and whatnot, um, I think uh, the way the um, the Indians, let, let's be honest, choked, um, and no fault on Mickey Calloway, but um, <laughs> the, um, you know, the way they basically choked their way out of the playoffs is kind of my bracket buster, even though I, I, you know, I think I said, when we last spoke that I could see the Astros very easily making it to the, to the world series. Um, that being said, it wasn't very easy. The Yankees were ridiculously tough to get through for both teams, but here we are at, uh, you know, tonight starts the world series, Houston at Los Angeles, potentially the warmest night ever for a world series game with a potential, um, tr- potential triple digit uh, temperature. Uh, both teams, obviously from cities that can handle it, uh, but uh, what's this matchup look like in your eyes, and what's your call? So I was I was looking at it. There's our, our buddy Mark Carrick had actually uh, tweeted out a link to a uh, a contest where 
if you accurately predict the final score of every game, uh, you would win a million dollars. So obviously I said, well, I'd like to win a million dollars. So so let me get into it. And I started looking at the pitching matches at least what we know of. We know the first two games are locked in. The third game, I think we only know that Darvish is going for the Dodgers. We're not sure who's going for the Astros. But when I was looking at it, I was surprised because heading into the series, initially I said, I think I'm going to say the Dodgers are are going to take this. Then as I started entering in what I was projecting to be rotations, and obviously – Things change on a fly. Guys pitching on three days rest so their teams are behind. But as I was playing every scenario out of my head, I found myself shocked that I actually picked the Astros in six. And I didn't foresee that happening coming into the series. It was only when I started breaking it down. I know they didn't hit pretty much at all the ALCS. Uh, I know they were only really hitting at home. I know that the Yankees kind of stymied them a few times. But I just look at their pitching right now, and I think their pitching is just a tick better than the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers are a very good team. I give the Dodgers all the credit. When we both made our our picks prior to the playoffs, I said I didn't see the Dodgers being able to to find that spark again that they had so incredibly lost in the dog days of summer. That just goes to prove that the dog days of summer are just that. And good teams will always be able to rise above. And that's exactly what the Dodgers did. Uh, I do feel like there's a bit of choking by the Cubs as well as the Indians. But I have to give credit where credit's due to the Dodgers. I think they did a hell of a job to get to the series. But on paper, as I look at the matchups, as I look at the potential moves that both managers can make in tinkering with their rotation, I just, uh, like I said, I, I find myself shocked, but I go Astros in six. Astros and six. Okay. So, I mean, I think for me, uh, you know, I, I look at the pitching and, and, and here's what it comes down to for me. And I'll, 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 you know, I'll qualify this. I am picking the Astros as well. Um, but, uh, I'll qualify that it as basically being Dallas Keuchel and Justin Verlander will pitch four out of seven games. Should the series go that far? And while Kershaw obviously will pitch two of those games, uh, I just cannot see a scenario where uh, the Dodgers are able to beat those two guys four times total. That gives them at most three wins. Uh, because I think the pitching that the, in the middle of the rotation, certainly it depends on what Charlie Morton you see. Uh, if you see the Charlie Morton that pitched Game Seven of uh, the the the, N- the ALCS, I still want to call it the NLCS. I'm sorry, Houston, but I still see your team as <laughs> National League half the time. Uh, I cannot accept the fact, and mentally, I've accepted it emotionally that the Astros are an AL team. Uh, intellectually, it's still not totally clicked. Uh, but um, the the reality of it is, I like the Astros lineup better. I like their rotation better. But if it comes down to a battle of the bullpen, that pendulum is going to swing and the Dodgers are going to win the World Series. Yeah, I, I completely get that. But from you bring up the emotional standpoint, as Mets fans, so this isn't logic, this isn't looking at the rotations, this isn't looking at the orders. But just as a Mets fan, one of our guys is getting a ring. Who would you rather yep. it be, Beltran or Granderson? Oh, I hate, I hate you for asking me that. 
You know, because here's I'm going to say Beltran, and here's why. And this is no slight against Curtis Granderson, who has been one of my. I'll be honest; he'll go down as one of my all-time favorite Mets, even though he only spent three and a half years with us. Um, just because his personality, the, what he brought to the field, what he brought uh, as a professional baseball player, what he brought to the community, um, and you know, statistically, you know, boy, it would have been nice to have him earlier in his career, sure. But you know, he'll go down as one of my favorite all-time Mets, and I think he'll go that way for a lot of Met fans. I think there are a lot. I mean, he's a very popular player among the fan base. Carlos Beltran was a guy who was judged on one pitch. And that will piss me off the rest of my life as a Met fan. Uh, that so many Met fans gave him the short end of the stick and judged him on that one pitch and never again allowed themselves to realize that they had a Hall of Famer in his prime patrolling center field at Shafe and then City and chose to judge him as such. That will never not anger me. And so to me, um, I feel like as a Met fan who truly appreciated Carlos Beltran for what he brought to this team, for what he added to the mid, that mid-decade run, um, to the fact that he's the greatest center fielder in New York Mets history, bar none. I got to give it to Carlos. And just on the grounds, too, we know it's his last chance. We don't necessarily know that about Curtis. We suspect it, but we don't know it. Um, so, as you know, I, I, I got to give the nod to the Hall of Famer. I got to give it to Carlos. Yeah, I kind of lean tough. the same. It's tough. I lean the same direction, and it, it is tough because Curtis Granderson, I, I said it before, he is an ambassador of baseball. He is yep. one of those good guys. He is the guy where I, I tell my my kid, see that guy, do it like him. That that's the guy you want to be. Him. You want to be. Yep. You want to play the game the right way. You want to have passion for the game. You want to treat the fans the right way. You want to have fun with the game. It never felt like felt like Curtis Granderson was going to work. It felt like he had fun. He had fun with his teammates. He keeps the clubhouse light. I love Curtis Granderson, but Carlos Beltran. I, as a Mets fan, am not used to the Mets having a good offense. It's sad, but it is the fact. The Mets have mired for years at a time. It seems like they go on season-long slumps. I I lived through the Mo Vaughn, Jeremy Burnett's days. I lived through so many awful years in the early aughts, in the mid-90s, in the early 90s, where the Mets were not an offensive juggernaut by any stretch of the imagination. The 2006 Mets, with Carlos Beltran, Carlos Delgado, and David Wright in the middle of the lineup, allowing David Wright to be the hitter that I wish he never changed from. The David Wright who hit every hard ball, opposite field, uh, right center field, line drives for doubles, over the fence for homers, but never tried to be the power player. The guy who was probably 20 pounds lighter than he came to camp the last time he was healthy, he was able to be that player because of Carlos Beltran and Carlos Delgado. And that team, those two guys particularly, put up such 
stupid numbers. It was amazing to, to have two guys with over 100 RBIs back-to-back. As a Mets fan, you just don't see that. And that offense was so exciting. It, was, it just felt like you were good. With Jose Reyes at the top of it, it felt like you were guaranteed runs at the, in the first inning almost every time. And then you go to his defensive side of it. And I think even as great as he is and winning gold gloves, I still don't feel that he is rated high enough when it comes to center fielders. He, I still feel he's very underrated. He gets accolades, yes, but I just don't think people acknowledge just how great he is. He got to balls that normal center fielders had no right getting to, and he made it smooth. He dealt with the BS that was the Mike Cameron situation, where you basically put two elite center fielders in the outfield at the same time and assumed it would work, and only to have catastrophic results with the collision in San Diego. He dealt with that and came back from it and was a complete professional because of it. And like you said, Granderson could still possibly hang on a couple more years as a very high-impact utility player for a contender, whereas with Beltron, that is not the case. So for that reason, I want Beltron to get his ring this year and maybe Grandy to get one down the road. And also there is this one other factor, dude. It's Chase. The Utley factor. <laughs> There's the that? Utley factor. I don't exactly want it. Chase uh, I don't want Chase Utley to know joy. So I don't want Chase I'm a petty, petty man. I understand that. I don't care. I don't want Chase Utley to have a World Series ring. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day and I think I said it at the exact same time as you at the, the Utley factor. Uh in fact, uh it sounds like a bad cable news program that I wouldn't watch. Um, the, uh, I, the reality of, of it is that, uh, yeah, I feel the exact same way. I harbor it. I harbor a grudge. Um, I, you know, and, and it, you know, it, it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, what occurred in the playoffs two years ago, even it has, it has everything to do with, uh, you know, just the, the lifetime of hurt, pain, agony, etc. that, uh, that, uh, you know, he has caused this fan base, um, you know, will I be upset if the Dodgers win and Curtis gets his ring? No, I certainly won't. Again, everything about Curtis Granderson is good. Now, yeah, he's past the prime. But, I mean, Curtis Granderson, again, there are so few role models left in the world of sports. There are so few. I mean, you know, whether, whether you, you know, as a parent, whether you're raising a boy or a girl, you're looking for you know people you can point to, uh, to your kids to just be, hey, you know that's that's somebody they're they're okay to look up to. There's so few people you you almost can't do it anymore. You literally almost can't do it. You're certainly not going to find a politician. You're not going to find somebody in Hollywood. Uh, you, you know you're you know you're not going to find somebody shaking their ass on the TV. Uh, you're not going to find somebody, you know, in, certainly in reality TV for, for your kids to look up to, uh, which is certainly, you know, that means guys and girls grab, grab a mirror that needs to be you. But, you know, uh, pep talk and uh, life coaching aside there, uh, the, the reality for me is one of those precious few people left is Curtis Granderson. Um. Curtis Granderson is one of those whether you know whether my whether my child ch- children are boys girls etc. 
I would say that's a man you can look up to. That's a man you want to live your life, whether you're into sports or not, live your life like Curtis Granderson. That being said, I, I just sl- slide slightly to the Carlos Beltran side of things. Uh, again, he is a former Met who is a Hall of Famer. I believe that he is a first ballot Hall of Famer um, who is age 40 and has never won a ring. He should have won one with us. He probably should have won two or three with us, quite frankly. Uh, but um, at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I'm rooting for him ever so slightly more. But if I had to pick which one I want my kids to be like, the, the pendulum swings slightly. Not that there's anything wrong with Carlos Beltran as a human being. It's just you don't get much better than Car- uh, Curtis Granderson. Absolutely. Yeah, you're totally right. And now for another hypothetical, let's say, let's say the Dodgers do win so Beltran doesn't get his ring. And when Cooperstown comes calling, what cap is he wearing into the Hall of Fame? Oh. <laughs> I know, that's a tough one. It really, I mean, for the, and, and the problem is that, um, you know, he, he, I got to think it's Kansas City. As weird as it sounds to say it, it's where he came up. It's where he got his start. Um, as much as I would love to say he goes in wearing a Mets hat, because I think, uh, you know, I, I, again, I, I, I feel like I was one of those guys that from the minute he put that uniform on to the minute he took it off that last day when he was traded to San Francisco, was a hardcore uh, Beltran fan and backer. Um, this is a fan base that turned its back on him multiple times. And not to say that uh, we haven't heard this phrase about us, before this is why we can't have nice things (laughs) and i hate to say it because again i am a lifelong met fan i will be a lifelong met fan but every so once in a while i feel like this fan base deserves a good hearty spanking (laughs) Uh, and i'm not talking a kinky spank here i'm talking a you've been a bad fan base Uh, and what they did to carlos beltran embarrassed me as a fan, pissed me off as a fan, and quite frankly, the fan base doesn't deserve that hat on his head in Cooperstown, and quite frankly, Carlos deserves better too. I hate to say it, but... Yeah, I I tend to... I lean Kansas City as well, and I can sit here, and despite his very limited time with them, I could make an argument for the Astros. Because if not for his performance in the postseason with the Astros in his first run around, he possibly never ends up in New York. Definitely probably doesn't get the contract that he ends up getting. And it was really a man single-handedly leading a team on his back. And then to to then return to that franchise, and albeit he hasn't uh, he hasn't really been leading the charge this time as he did last time, he's certainly been a, a significant contributor to her to it as a, to, to go back to the world series with this franchise has been uh has been really interesting to watch and it, it definitely he has had a major impact in a very short period of time with that franchise and you're right when it comes to his era with the mets i feel like that entire mets era goes down as 1988 again it, it was Teams that definitely should have met fates far greater than they did. 
and you can't lay the blame on any one man, which unfortunately our fan base has done far too often. I mean, you don't hear Phillies fans bitching about Ryan Howard, who the very next year ended the Phillies run in the exact same manner as Carlos Beltran ending the 06 run. And you don't hear Phillies fans, and they're an awful fan base, don't get me wrong, but you don't hear Phillies fans hating Ryan Howard with the vitriol that Carlos Beltran has received from a segment of Mets fans over the years. So I agree with you. When he does go to Cooperstown, his years with the Royals were great. Um, you, when, he, when he came up with them, you really got an infusion of youthful energy of, oh, wow, that's an old-school center fielder who hits <laughs> like an old-school first baseman. So it was, uh, it was some great years for him. It was the beginning. And let's face it, the Royals, they, they haven't had a lot of that in the past two decades of that caliber player. So I think it, it should be with the Kansas City hat on his head that he, uh, that he goes into the hall. I mean, you look at his numbers, and obviously, there you know you, you have some of his earlier years um, with Kansas City. And you know, he, he played seven years in Kansas City. He played seven years with the Mets. Um, the, the Yankees are his most his next most uh, games with uh, three years, three hundred and forty one games, and St. Louis two hundred and ninety six. Um, Houston is down at two hundred and nineteen. Uh, but um, you had one hundred and twenty three home runs, five hundred and sixteen RBIs. 164 stolen bases, 287 batting average. Uh, turned to more of a little bit of a power hitter, less of a uh, uh, stolen base guy with the Mets. Uh, uh, 149 home runs, uh, 100 stolen bases, 559 RBIs, 280 batter. Um, the stats are close enough in my mind that they, it, it justifies him being you know, picked as far as the, the Kansas City Royals. Again, what, what bugs me is that you have – and Carlos Beltran, um, and now, you know, obviously some of these guys, you know, Cespedes in the long run may turn out to be this as well. But um, you have essentially the bat of Mike Piazza, and you treated him like Kevin McReynolds. Yeah. Yeah, really, you're absolutely right. He he was very – I mean, again, I go back to that 06 season. When you look at the numbers yep. that him and Delgado put up together – and I think if you ask any Nets fan, what do you think of Carlos Delgado? It'll be nothing but positivity. But then you ask any Mets fan, what do you think of Carlos Beltran? And there is that segment that's only going to refer to one thing and completely ignore what that, that, that offense was able to produce over a couple of years there. And let's face it, we really haven't seen that caliber of offense with the Mets again. We've had some, some good runs. We've had the Daniel Murphy run along with Cespedes, but we haven't seen a consistent 162-game lineup that was as talented as that one since that lineup was broken up. Again, 2006 for Carlos Beltran, 275, 41 home runs, 116 RBIs, um, and, oh, yeah, 38 doubles. Just and by the way, numbers. it's – that was in 140 games. He didn't play in 22 games that year. Unbelievable. Yeah, that was, that, that was really, that was my favorite offensive team in my, in my years as rooting as a Mets fan. 99 comes close, but I think from the top to the bottom of the uh, lineup, I think that was the most talented that I've ever seen. 
I tend to agree. And like I said, that I mean, those every category there that was, with the exception of batting average, which was uh, David Wright with his three eleven that season. Um, every offensive category the Mets had, um, just about um, he won. Yep. Keep in mind, um, Laduca had thirty nine doubles that year, and Wright had forty. But you know, so he was too short of the team lead on doubles, but. Uh, you, you look at it, and you're absolutely 100% correct here in that uh, this is one of the best offensive teams the Mets had, and arguably, uh, apart from uh, you know P- uh, Piazza and I want to say 99, um, the uh, the best offensive season ever by a New York Met. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. I mean, those are numbers that not just for the Mets, but league-wide, you don't see those numbers anymore. You don't see nope. a guy putting up 40, 40 homers and almost 40 doubles. You don't see that in the league. Well, also having a very respectable batting average. You look at your 40 home run guys now, yeah, you're looking at a couple of 240 hitters, but you still had a very respectable batting average. I mean, yeah, that, that year was one for definitely a history and definitely one that I think when his time does come for Cooperstown, those years will be brought up. By by the Mets fans who do want him to go in and Mets hat, but ultimately I, I I give the nod to the Royals. Yeah, and and just to, to uh, looking at the stats, I'd say it's the third best offensive year by a New York Met after '99 and 2000 for Piazza. Um, yeah, is, is, I totally I mean, agree. Yeah, you know, three hundred three, forty home runs, one hundred and twenty-four RBIs in '99, in and then three hundred twenty-four, thirty-eight home runs, one hundred and thirteen. Uh, RBIs in in 2000 definitely top what what uh, Beltron did in 2006, but boy, not by much. And and that's the thing. You ask a ton of Met fans, he's Kevin McReynolds part two, uh, just some yeah. you know above average guy that didn't really do that well for us. And man, that couldn't be farther from the truth. And that's again why we can't have nice things. And uh, it's also why there are probably people out there that need to step away from the blog. They need to step away from the Twitter. They need to step away from the Facebook. They need to delete uh, the fan out of their speed dial and just walk off, go have a slice of pizza, watch some TV, and develop a life. Yeah. Well, in the, the current climate of this country, I don't foresee that happening anytime in the near future, my friend. <laughs> Boy, no, I sure don't either. It's uh, far more likely to be a. Um, that we're going to be uh, hitting idiocracy 400 years in advance of Mike Judge's movie uh, than the opposite. So. But on the good side of things, we do have some baseball to discuss, and uh, heading towards November, we're looking forward to getting back into a regular pattern of our Sundays, and uh, we've got some great guests working on lining up. And uh, i got a feeling, I mean, again, if... Uh, it's a good time to be a Mets fan. You're breaking up a little bit there, bud, so I didn't fully hear you, but... Uh, I believe I detected through the breakup the uh, positivity in your voice, and that's always a good t- place to be as Mets fans in an off season. Uh, I, I definitely feel like we are in a very good place heading into uh, the GM meetings and uh, and eventually spring training. And now uh, let's finish putting this management team in place, get the coaches all uh, all on board, and uh, start filling out this roster. Because I have a feeling again. It all comes down to health, but if the health is good, I feel like the Mets are going to be a uh, very successful team in 2018, and I definitely feel better about them today 
after the announcement of Mickey Galloway than I did just a mere week ago. I agree. I 100% agree, and I'm looking forward to our next regular show on November 